I want to say hello to all of our campuses and say how delighted I am to be back in the pulpit. As many of you are aware, uh, a month ago, I had a heart attack. This weekend, it was a month ago. And uh, I just want to thank you for your prayers. I just want to say to all the campuses, to the church here, uh, thank you for your prayers. We felt them. Um, It is true. uh, I did tweet from the ambulance asking for prayer. People were worried that my Twitter account was hacked. But here's the way I see it. I believe in the power of prayer. I wanted you praying right then and there. They just told me I was having a heart attack. I'm like, am I getting a shot? They're like, you're going in for surgery. And I was like, I need prayer. So I don't know why people don't ask for prayer. I'm asking and I got it. And I thank you for that. Um, I want to say thank you to our church. We have felt the love. I mean, people have brought us meals, uh, meal after meal after meal. Matter of fact, if I were you, I would join a life group just for that very reason, because your life group is supposed to take care of you if you're in need. And I'm telling you, the meals were fantastic. So, uh, and we, we just felt the love. Uh, I love our church, our team, Pastor Lindsay, Pastor Darren, the whole team. You covered for me while I was gone. Thank you to the elders for giving me... Um, I didn't know what to call it. I called it heart attack leave. Thank you for heart attack leave. You know, um, it was good to have that time off. I didn't like the heart attack, but thank you. And um, the church has been just so generous. I just want to let you know, I am doing fantastic. I feel great. I am obeying everything the doctor is telling me to do. Your pastor is a good, obedient person. And I just want to give a quick... um, heart update. I am in cardiac rehab, and I go there three times a week. They hook the probes up to me. I keep pushing my exercise each time. Interesting, um, there were three of us from River Valley at cardiac rehab on Friday. (laughs) So I said, that's enough to start a campus. So we now have a campus in Burnsville. And uh, we were all gathered, you know. I mean, so (laughs) I thought, is this going around? I mean, don't quit the church. But uh, no, so I, I am, I, we, I'm in the rehab, and I want to let you know, it takes six weeks. Once you have a heart attack, even if you're doing amazing afterwards, it takes six weeks. Your heart has been damaged, and uh, my heart was damaged from the heart attack, and they said, no matter how good I feel, it takes six weeks. I'm limited to 10 pounds of weight to lift. Um, I walk about two miles in my workout. Um, it's a lot less than I was doing, but uh, I'm, I'm, again, obeying everything they say. I'm cleared to preach. Um, I'm not disobeying anything. I didn't have to twist anybody's arm. The doctor was uh, ready to clear me a week ago, but he's like, you know, hey, it's great that your church has blessed you with this. Um, a, a lot of people have said to me, you know what the message is from this, don't you? And I'm like, uh, what? And they're like, slow down. And, and here's the thing, you gotta understand, it wasn't because of my pace of life. It wasn't even because I had blockage of cholesterol. Um, it was a rupture of my artery. And I would have passed a test the day before the heart attack. So what happened is it ruptured, and then the blood clot acted just like a a complete blockage, and that's where I I felt the heart attack. Um, I'm on five medications now that prevent this, and they've said are are going to extend my life. I had three stents put in. I'm doing great, but... um, The answer is not to slow down. Now, I'm going to be wise in the things I do, but when I talked to my doctor, I said, you know, does this mean I need to slow down? He said, you may have lost a gear 
that you used to have, but as fast as you want to go, go. If you feel comfortable, go for it. This is, it is not to change you into a different person. We have you on the right medication now. Go as fast as you were created to go. And I was like, can I get that in writing? You know, because <laughs> that's how I feel. Um, and, and he just basically said it was genetics. If we could change your genes, we, we would be happier, but you just had this in your heart, and now that we have you on the right drugs, we believe your future is bright, and uh, we've got you where you need to be. Um, incidentally, a whole sermon series uh, I was writing in the hospital, and the, the series, I don't know when I'm going to preach it, probably in the next three to four months, it's called I Didn't Ask For This, and um, I'm going to preach that series because there's a lot of things that people don't ask for in life that come their way, and God has given me some revelation for that, that I didn't ask for this, and now I embrace it, and I have to deal with it, and I think God wants to speak to our church through that. Um, Before I preach, I just want to give you a couple other things. Um, I've noticed a few differences in my life since the heart attack. Um, I'm sleeping more. Um, I used to sleep five to six hours a night. Now I'm seven to eight hours a night. And uh, I think it's just my body healing. And that's different for me. You know, at one point I tried to see how little sleep I could get by on years ago. I don't think that way anymore. But now I am sleeping more than I used to. Uh, I have lower blood pressure due to the medication. And when I start to walk or even start to preach, it feels like my body needs to catch up. You know, like my heart like needs to get ramped up and get going. When I get to about the three-quarter mark when I'm walking, it feels like my blood pressure and everything has kicked in, and now I feel good. So I'm just letting you know that. Um, With that, I I have to catch my breath a little more. And uh, I noticed this week, I was talking to some staff, and you know, I mean, my words and my mind are working faster than my heart and my lungs are. And as I'm talking to them, I kind of did a, and they were like, are you okay? (laughs) So if I do that, I'm just trying to catch up my breath and where I'm going. I feel fine, but I just feel like, all right, I need more air. And uh, I'm perfectly fine. Don't rush on the stage and do CPR. All right, I'm good. And, um, I'm going to ease back into preaching. Uh, I'll be preaching like six weeks in a row, but I won't preach on the Sunday. I'll try to just do Saturday and then uh, not preach live on the Sunday. Um, I promise this. I won't joke about my heart, okay? I won't joke about my heart. Um, I have joked about being alive. I walked into the staff the other day and they were all, you know, like, you're here. And I said, I'm not dead. You know, so, I mean, I'm okay with that, but I will not joke about heart pain. I won't joke about that. Um, You know, my wife was like, hey, you you hold your heart. I'm like, because I want to make sure it's still there. You know, I mean, I I won't joke about it. I won't fake anything. Um, I just think that's poor form. Uh, so I won't do that. And um, again, just thank you for your prayers. I feel it. I'm excited to be back. I love you deeply. It's an honor to be your pastor. And I believe, really, I'm ready for whatever God has next for me. I believe the best is yet to come. Um, I just feel this. I I wasn't afraid to die, but I didn't want to go. I knew where I was going, but I didn't want to go. And uh, the way I was thinking about it was this. As I, as I process this, um, this kind of maybe just, again, the way I think, I was like, Lord, if I would have died, there would have been a really big funeral that a lot of people could have got saved at. So I didn't die. So you must have something more important for me to do than have a large funeral while I'm still young. So I want to know what it is that I'm supposed to do. 
So if you want me to slow down, I don't think that's going to work because I got to outdo a very large funeral. Does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to go for it and we are going to go for it. So, all right, with that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous in preaching because I was like, what if you're not as funny as you were? And I was asking my family that and they were like, you weren't that funny before. So I was like, okay, you know, all right. Yeah. So anyways, but... I feel like I'm back, I'm me, I'm ready to roll. And with that, let's go for it. 2015 is a new year. We're going for it. It's a new year. Now, this sermon today is uh, really a state of the church. It's a vision message. And not all churches do this. I wish they would, because I think there's something about setting goals and casting vision and, and putting numbers out there and goals out there and giving goals and things that you want to do. And then as a congregation, we unite our faith together. Sometimes pastors have goals and they don't share it. And then they know it, but you don't. And, and I think we can unite our faith and our efforts together to accomplish these things. And I believe this so strongly for our year that as I prayed about it, the theme of the year is greater. The theme of the year is greater. As I prayed about it, I felt God saying it's going to be a year that is greater. And, you know, you kind of get excited. You're thinking greater, like, what does that mean? And, and, and is it greater numbers? Is it greater this? And although there are going to be some significant numbers that will be revealed, as God talked to me and, and I heard him just speak so clearly to me, it was, it's going to be a greater presence of God, a greater, I mean, we're going to have greater uh, things that we're going to do numerically and financially and service-wise and all these other things, but God was like, it is a greater year of my presence. And without over-sensationalizing this, I believe that there's going to be a greater presence of God to the point that sometimes we won't be able to even stand in the presence of God. We will have to kneel like as we worship there's going to be times in prayer that you're going to just weep before God. I have a feeling that we're going to see just a breakthrough. There's a, a sermon series, again, as I charted out the year. Um, we're going to do a three-part series on healing. And I believe that we are going to see supernatural things take place, that there's going to be a greater presence of God, that it's going to be supernatural. And I think I shared it at leadership night. It's not like greater. It's more like greater boom like coming on us and presence of God and greater. And so I am looking forward to all that God wants to do and believing that it's going to be greater. And with that, Ephesians 3.20 in the message version says, can, God can do anything, anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. And I believe God wants to do so much more, so much greater than we could ever even ask. And so I'm wondering, why do we settle for so much less than God desires? Why do we ask for so little when he's willing to give so much? Why do we hold back when he says, press in, when he says, see what I'll do if you'll get aggressive? And so with this year, I, I just was like, God, we don't want to settle. We don't want to just ask for half of what you have. We want to ask for all of what you have. And as I prayed about that, it, I just was so led to 2 Kings 13. And if you're familiar with the story, we're going to look at this. It's about Elisha and the king. And the king of Israel comes to Elijah. If you have your Bibles, turn to me there, 2 Kings 13. Because this is a story of somebody that went for half, 
half of what God wanted and God had so much more in store, but he settled for half. And so I just thought, God, we don't want to settle for a half. We want to go for it. Now, to set a little background, Elisha is the prophet of God. Elisha is the prophet of God and Jehoash is the king of Israel. Okay, so Elisha is the prophet and he has done amazing works of God. And, and just so you know, the prophet would represent the people to God and he'd represent God to the people. And he would call the people up to what they should live at. And he would sometimes rebuke them and encourage them and call them to live up to what God saw them in them and through them. Many times the prophets would do miraculous things. And Elisha was one that did many miracles. Matter of fact, the anointing that was miraculous on his life was so strong that even when Elisha dies... You'll see this in the, well, if you keep reading after our text in 2 Kings 13, you'll see that Elisha dies. And if you keep reading it, you'll see that they bury Elisha. And later on, they're having a battle. This guy dies, and they don't know what to do with him. So they throw him in the grave where Elisha is, and the guy comes back to life because he touches Elisha's bones. There's that much anointing still residual in his body that this guy's like, I'm back for battle. Like, whoa, you know, I mean, amazing. That's amazing, okay? So this guy is, is miraculous. He has faith. He's used of God. And King Jehoash comes to him, and, and there's a scene here right before Elisha dies. Now, just so you know, some Bibles say Joash, some say uh, Jehoash. It's just an alternative spelling. It's not like your Bible has a mistake, all right? So 2 Kings 13, starting in verse 14. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy, destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elijah told him, strike the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it but now you will defeat it only three times. So this story talks about a bow and an arrow, and there's something about it. And I actually have a bow and arrow with me today and several arrows, and I'm kind of excited about this. I've got it. And uh, I do promise this to the church here. I promise I will not shoot an arrow, okay? So you do not have to be in fear. I'm not going to shoot one. I'm not going to accidentally shoot one. I'm not going to get faith and shoot it, okay? And everyone that's at a video campus is like, I'm so glad we're on video. All right, so, all right, but I'm not going to shoot one. But I, I want to hold this here because it just, it, it adds to it to see what's going on. The king was told to grab the bow and arrow and to open the window. Now, I want to point this out because there's something we can grab that applies to us. And here's something I want to tell you about the work of God. When we look at the vision for this year or for your life or for this church, God always says, there's something for you to do. You're going to be part of the process. 
I want you to be involved in this. You're not just going to sit back and watch what God does. God says, I want you involved in the process, and I want you to put your hands on it. I tell you this, I am glad that church is not a spectator sport. I'm glad that when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you join his church and you join the family of God, he's like, I've got work for you to do. There's people for you to reach. There's ministry for you to do. You are gifted with skills and talents and I want you to use them to advance the cause of Christ. I'm so glad for that. And we see in this, he says to the king, I want you to grab this. I want you to open the windows. There's something for you to do. Now the king was doing something that kings would be familiar with. The king was actually shooting an arrow in the direction of the enemy. And I want to let you know this, that when a king was declaring war on another country, he would go to the border of the country and he would take a bow and arrow and he would shoot it into the land. And then he would say why he's going to war. And then for 30 days, the people would have time to make amends, to get a peace treaty, to try to avoid war. And if they didn't do that, then the king would go to war. So the king was being told, you're going to do something to take back land that belongs to God because those people have grabbed it and that's not what God wants. And so you need to go and shoot towards there because you're going to war, young man. This is going on. Now, I want to let you know that as he was doing this, again, God always looks for people to get involved with. God says, I want you involved. In Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God's saying, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. Like, I couldn't find anybody to work through. Isaiah 6, 8, God's looking for somebody. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. I want to put my hands on the bow. I want to do it. The boy with the loaves and fishes, Jesus is like, what do you have? Somebody had to give up their lunch. God always wants to work with somebody. And he says, I need your hands on it. But here's the neat thing. You have just little hands on the bow. God has big hands on the bow. The reason that Elisha puts his hand on the bow and the arrow is that was symbolic to say to the king, hey, by the way, you think you're going to have to do this in your own strength? You're not. God's going to give you the strength for victory. And the reason I'm putting my hands on this as the prophet is because I'm saying I'm going to represent God right now in this moment. And God's going to be the big hands on what you need to do. Now, in our church, all the things that we're setting out to do do this year, God is the big hands. We are nothing more than the little hands. Now, we are going to have to work, and we are going to have to give, and we are going to have to sacrifice, and we are going to have to go and invite people, but don't ever think that you are the big hands and God is the little hands. We are nothing but the little hands. He's the big hands. And any church that thinks that they can move forward and do something great for God without his hands on their church is sadly mistaken. If you think, well, we have good preaching and good worship and free coffee and free donuts and we got soft chairs and a good location, we should grow. You are mistaken. You need God's hand. He needs to be the big hands in the process or we're in trouble. That's why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting that starts this weekend. 21 days of prayer and fasting, and on every other seat, there should be a card. It's on our website. You can download it. You can see what we're praying for every day. Why? Because we acknowledge at the start of this year on the vision weekend that God is the big hands and we are the little hands. 
We need to say, God, we need your help. We need your strength. We need you with us. May you bless everything that is done this year in your name. You are the big hands. And so I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to fast. I encourage you to do something this year uh, to start it out to say, God, you are the big hands on this. Now, there's a side note in this, and I'm going to ask Connor to come on up here, our, our oldest son, Connor, to come on up on the stage with me. And I, I told him right before service, I said, I may use you in an illustration. And you have to do this because I had a heart attack a month ago. So, you know, <laughs> you have to do this. So I want you to put your hands on it. I want you to represent the king. And I'm going to represent the, the prophet, okay? I want you to understand this. There's more symbolism that's going on here. The king knew that Elisha was dying. He knew it. It talks about that. He weeps. Oh, no, you're going to die, okay? So he's sad. Okay, he knows that, and he knows he needs to do a battle, and the prophet is saying, God's going with you. He's going to take care of you. And I think he was saying this. He was saying, even though I'm dying, don't think it ends with me. God doesn't die. He's saying, the prophet is going to die, but God didn't die. The battle still is to be won. You're going to make it. It's by the power of God. And I, I wanted you to be here because I'm sure that they pulled it back together and they had their hands on it. And I'm sure the old man was trembling and he was doing this. And he was saying, you know, like, you can make it. God is with you. God is with you. Now, I don't want to over-sensationalize this, but seriously, had I died of a heart attack a month ago, Okay, the church was not over. God did not die. A, a man might have died, but God didn't die. And this church, the mission doesn't change. It still goes forward. It still reaches the next generation. There are still pastors that would rise up. There's still a future. There's elders and deacons and people that are in this church. There's another generation following behind. And I wanted Connor to come up here and symbolize everyone 30 and under. There's, there's giants for you to kill. There's battles for you to win. It doesn't end. Like when Billy Graham leaves this earth, we're not doomed because God will raise up another person. And, and 30 years from now, 50 years, whenever it is, somewhere in the future, I'm not gonna be the pastor. We're gonna hand it off to somebody and God's hand will still be on this church. God's hand, that's what I believe Elisha was saying. It's, it's not about me, it's about him. And he's gonna be with you. So if you've got your eyes on me, you're in trouble. And I love being your pastor. I love the honor of being lead pastor. But I'm telling you what, it doesn't end with me. It doesn't end with the next one. It doesn't end with the next one. It ends when God says, time's up. So if you are 30 and under and you're of a younger generation, let it be symbolic here, man. There will be a torch to hand to you. There will be a church to handle you. There will be lost people that need you to reach them. There's more ministry for you. There are greater works that you can do, and you need to receive that. Thank you for being up here, son. Love you. Notice how much nicer that was. I didn't say take your seat. You notice that? That's an old joke. I still pay for that one. All right. Uh, so here's the interesting thing. After he shoots one, then the prophet says, go ahead, shoot, strike the ground. Some people believe that he tapped the ground. Now, some theologians believe that he just took the arrow and tapped the ground. Others believe he fired the arrow. It doesn't matter. The significance is an arrow had to hit the ground 
and it was in the king's hand. Now, I want you to understand this. That there was something going on here supernatural that God's like, the amount of times you hit the ground is the amount of victory. So the victory is resting in your hands. You're the little hands, but your effort in this is going to determine how much supernatural is going to join the natural. Isn't that crazy? Leaders, we ought to pause for a moment there. If you lead anything for the Lord and you realize the power that is in your hands, if you go halfway, people suffer. If you give us half your gifts, we suffer. Opportunity is lost. People miss out because you went halfway. And so the king goes three taps. That's it, three taps. Three arrows total. The prophet gets so angry. He's like, why did you do this? Why did you pause? You're only gonna get half the victory. Now, we know that most quivers in the day had eight to 12 arrows in it, so he didn't even go halfway, really. He did less than half. And the prophet's so angry. Why did you do this? Why did you stop? And it's too late for us to change the story here, but it's not too late for us to change the story with us. Why do we stop halfway? Why do we go halfway with God's blessings? Why do we only obey half of the distance? Why do we want to compromise with the world? Why don't we want total victory over the sin? Why don't we want to really go after it with kingdom builders and tithing and serving and leading and doing all the things that God has called us to do? You say, go on a global team. How about if I send somebody? I just go halfway. I'll send a little money. Why do you want to go halfway? Why do we do that? Maybe it's like, well, you know, I just didn't want to look too crazy, you know, shooting the arrows, and people might have thought, why do you get crazy for your sports team, but you don't want to be crazy for God? Why don't you want to have zeal for him? We know this. God hates lukewarm behavior. He says in Revelation, lukewarm, I'll spit you out. He's like, I can't stand people that tap three times. And what's crazy to me is we've got a king going halfway with a prophet that asked for a double portion. How crazy is that? Because Elisha was an understudy to Elijah and Elijah had a lot of power with God. And he goes, I want double of what you have. So we've got a double portion prophet and a halfway king. So you can just, Elijah, if you think there was blood boiling, you don't even know how mad Elisha was. You should ask him someday in heaven, all right. I'm thinking about this and I'm looking at this and I'm wondering, why did he go halfway? Why do we go halfway? And then I thought, what if he'd have gone all out? What if he'd have said, you know what, God? If this is gonna get victory, I will tap one. I will tap double tap. I'll tap a triple tap. I'll tap more. I, I will empty the quiver. I want it all. Like if, if I'm gonna say I got nothing left, what more do you have for me, God? I'm going to borrow some arrows from somebody else and throw more down. I, you know, that's how we should be. That's how we should live. I made a mess. Thank God for interns. All right, all right. <laughs> got to start somewhere. All right. Ah, oh, why don't we go that way in our own life? 
Why don't we go all out? Why don't we say, God, we want everything. We want everything. We want everything. I think God would have paid attention because the way I see it in the Bible, God, when, it, when you go all in, two coins, that's all you got. God's like, that catches my attention. When Solomon makes a sacrifice way more than what was ex- expected, God's like, what do you want? Anything you wish for, I'll grant it. It was after extravagant going all in, emptying everything on God. That's the way our God is. So with that being said, very quickly, 2015 is going to be a six-arrow year. It is going to be a six. We are not going to do three. We're going to go to complete victory. And with that being said, I believe this. I'm going to go fast through this. But I believe we're going to grow by 2,000 people in one year. Now, that is adding an incredible amount of people. How can I say that? Like last year in 2014, we grew by 893. We're going to open our new Shakopee campus, and I believe God's hand of favor is going to be on that. We are going to see explosive growth, but that doesn't mean the other campuses are off the hook. We are growing, and we cannot be complacent. This is a six-arrow year. And I want to let you know, when I set these goals, I was living in the tension of, is that a three-arrow goal, a six-arrow goal? Is that a 20? Lord, I don't want to go halfway, but I believe that is bold and audacious, and we're going after it. I believe that we're going to open two new campuses, and Lord willing, one of those will be in downtown Minneapolis. It's happening this year. Needs to. I believe... Kingdom Builders is going to hit 5 million this year. Last year, we hit 4,457,000, which is our largest ever. And people are like, are you sad that you didn't hit 5 million? No. The year before was 2.8. The year before that was 1.6. Are you watching what God is doing? We're going to hit 5 million this year. And here's something exciting. When Minatrista raised their money to get in the building, the very next year, they gave the same amount to Kingdom Builders for missions. Shakopee Campus hit their goal of 1.5 million and doesn't need to raise money for their building this year. What if Shakopee gave 1.5 million to missions? And I mean, I'm just praying it's a six arrow year, okay? 200 people per campus I want to go through Alpha. What does that mean? We better find some people that need to find out about Jesus and get them into Alpha. That means every campus better. Now, I know some of the campuses are smaller, but altogether, I want 1,200 people, which would be a record, record year to go through Alpha. And I know the Alpha leaders are just like, oh, increase their faith, Lord, faith, Lord, right now. Lord, increase it. It's a six-arrow year. All right, we're doing it. We're going to have our first conference because God is not calling us to just keep this to ourselves, and we're going to empower other churches and teach them how we're doing this. We are going to celebrate our 20th anniversary, September 18th through 20th. And so I put a couple of goals to celebrate our 20th anniversary. I want to add 20 deacons in their 20s. Okay, I intentionally want us to look younger for leadership and say, your time is not someday. Your time is now to be a leader and to be counted on and to step up. I mean, I started the church when I was 29, and we need some 20-year-old deacons in there, and so we're going to look young. Here's one that's interesting. I want to do 20 good deeds per day. Follow me. 20 good deeds per day per campus for the entire year. That means our local projects and our good deeds through our life groups and our major outreach projects, we need to do 43,800 good deeds. That means we're going to be doing so much social good that if we left the community, our communities would miss us. 
okay? I, so we'll give you more on that, but we want you to use the hashtag greater works, the hashtag greater works. So if you use Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you go out with your life group and you do whatever, just say greater works, greater works. We're going to go to feed my starving children. We're going to do amazing large activities, but we're also going to do one-on-one things and we're going to do so much social good. Again, the world will miss us if we're gone. With our Kingdom Builders giving, some of it will go to the buildings, but some will go to missions. And I believe combined, we're going to give the largest ever $3 million to world missions. $3 million. That's a six arrow year. And I believe that we are going to see, once again, over 3,000 people raise their hand, say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. It's going to happen in our church services. Over 3,000 people come to faith again. This is a six-arrow year. This is a six-arrow year, and it's all starting with 21 days of prayer and fasting as we start this weekend. And I'm asking God, help us to have a six-arrow year. That's our theme this year. It will be a six-arrow year. We are not going halfway. We are going all the way. We are emptying all we've got to say, God, we want all that you have for us. And all I want to say as I close is this. What are you doing in your life that's six arrows? Is God calling you to tithe? And you've said, I'll give 3%. Don't do three arrows. You say, well, I haven't been a kingdom builder. Don't do that. Six arrows. Maybe it's your year for global project. Six arrows. Join a life group. Get in our greater groups. Don't miss that. The whole church is doing this. Don't miss it. Six arrows. Find a place to serve. Six arrows. I'm serious. Get rid of that sin that's been holding you back. Don't be content that you slip up every six days. Go for six arrows. Have the victory in Jesus Christ. Some of you need to press in to get all that you can in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a six arrow year and we're going to go for it. Some of you need to invite people to church if we're going to have these people come. And you're going to have to say, I'm an inviter. I'm not just an attender. I'm going to look for people that are far away from God that need to be a part of it. I'm going to get someone to Alpha. I'm going to do everything I can. Some of you are going to help us launch a new campus. This is a six-arrow year, and we are going for it. So, Lord, it's a six-arrow year. Help us to go for it. We will not hold back. It's a six-arrow year. We set big goals, but we know, God, you are bigger than our goals. You will do more than we ask or imagine. Our small thinking will not limit you. We will instead think six arrows all the way. Total victory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.